I'm Jose, and this is Token Theater Friends. Uh, welcome. This is our first episode without Deep. Hi, Deep. We miss, we miss you, and we hope you're watching and listening. Uh, I'm very excited today, though, because we have, you know, the people behind one of my favorite shows running right now, and I think one of my favorite shows of this year, mm-hmm. uh, One and Two, and we have playwright Tanya, our love, and actor Leland Fowler. Thank you both so much for for joining us. Thank you. I'm so, I'm so excited to have you. <laughs> yes. Uh, and just to get started, for our viewers and our listeners, can you describe what wanting to is? Can I describe what wanting to is? That's the question. Um, one and two is a theatrical experience where we explore and we highlight um, and we get to follow what it looks like today to be HIV positive, specifically to be black queer and HIV positive. Um, and we do it through the lens of a multitude of characters um, told by three amazing actors and getting to see on any given night uh, what that might look like. Um. <laughs> I was so astounded, you know, as an audience member, I was astounded by the work that, that you and your uh, mm-hmm. fellow actors do on stage because you don't know what's going to happen on any single night. Yes. So. Can you explain a little bit about what that's like? And, and I'm sorry for that. <laughs> no, no, be. I mean, it's so exciting. And so, I mean, it's what I love about it is that we can't predict it. So it's like we come in every day and we don't know until the audience knows mm-hmm. how the show's going to go that night. And so it's like we show up and we just like, we know the story and we know that we are the bodies that tell the story. But it's just like when the show begins, depending on how the audience feels that night, like the audience chooses who they want to be number one. And then there's a game that decides randomly who's going to be number two and number three. And it's just like we figure that out and then we just roll with it. And so we're just we got to be very present and just like play with each other. And I mean, that's an actor's dream. Literally, like there's nothing to apologize for because I love it. I've never done anything like that before where it's just like you just we're encouraged to just be in the moment and be with the people that you're partnering with on the stage. I got the impression when I was sitting there that it's kind of like a board game where you know, mm. like you're about to roll the dice and you don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. And I was terrified for all of you there because I'm like, oh, <laughs> but if, you know, because I don't know. And but for you, you're in the show. Mm-hmm. And what is it like for you? You know, are there tracks where you go like, I wish, mm. I, I hope I'm number two today, or I hope I'm number one. Well, that's a really good question. That is a really good question. And I don't feel that way. I actually love all three of the tracks. And I'm not even just saying that. But when we, before we started rehearsing, I was like, which one am I going to like the most? But then like after we like started rehearsing, you try each of them on. I love each of them for very different reasons because they're all such different tracks. Like, like, I, like, I mean, without giving too much away, it was just like number one for me, the way I describe each of the ones is like number one like takes on the weight of that story and the sadness of the story and like also the joy of it but just like the weight of that experience number one has to sit in number two is a very busy track you just like the busy body of the show that night and then like number three is kind of like the like soft and relaxed track a little bit like i get to like it's like if i'm playing number three today it's just like okay i get to breathe a little bit like y'all got to do the heavy lifting and i'm gonna breathe but it is a little bit like that and i will say when i was uh writing it i was thinking it I would love for there to be a track where they get to breathe a little bit. Yes. <laughs> I'm glad that you said that. Yeah, it is. And like number three, three, it's number three. You get to breathe just yeah. a little bit. And just like really quickly, I just uh, want to talk about the testament to um, 
you and uh, Jamil Dubson, one of the other actors, um, and uh, uh, Eddie Madere, another actor, um, and the genius of our director, Stevie Walker-Webb, um, the, the last time that Eddie, one of the actors, was number two was, I think, maybe the second or third preview. Mm -hmm. And then fast forward to about two nights ago, he was number two again. And I'm in the audience, nervous <laughs> as fuck. Like, oh my God, what's going to happen? <laughs> Is the black going to go out the window? Yeah. Are my lines going to go out the window? And it was amazing. Like, you would not think that two and a half weeks went by. And it's just, again, a testament to, like, the work that y'all do and how, like, committed y'all are to the material and, like, the work that y'all continue to put in and just uh, what Stevie was able to, like, cultivate throughout the process. Because you wouldn't have th thought that oh, two and a half weeks went by mm -hmm. from him to be in track two. I, I wonder if, you know, one of the reasons why, why he was so comfortable with this is because when I was reading your script and before I even opened it, I thought this is going to be like calculus. I'm not going to understand what's going on here. <laughs> but what I, what I found so remarkable is that I, I was, I've been listening to a lot of prints Mm. And reading yeah. the, your script, mm. there's like, a, it made me think a lot about Prince's music. There's oh, like wow. all these layers, and it's almost like, you know, uh, I mean, granted, I had already seen the play before, uh -huh. I, before I read it, but I was astounded by the fact that it's almost like you're composing an, a symphony with your mm. words, and I mm. wonder if this makes it easier for your actors to, to memorize them and, you know, to just feel like they come out of them naturally. But I have to ask you, like, how do you come up with all of that and how do you write oh, it? Oh, gosh. Um, that's a really good question. And for me, it was, I, like, often talk about um, making room for the divine to show up. And that was incredibly important for me. And I think about when we get to the moment where the audience decides who will be number one, um, there is no other way to explain it, but like we literally have to make room for the divine to mm. show up. We can be as prepared as possible. Um, we can be as structured as possible and have immense craft and technique. But at the end of the day, in that moment, we have no choice but to as much as we prepare to leave room for the divine. Um, and and uh, the text itself, like that was very important for me. And for me, that looked like really thinking about what, uh, when I started writing it, what the last 10 years was like for me uh, living with HIV and just uh, wanting to be honest about that experience and how can I best convey that in a way where if we have three bodies on stage, I was thinking how can we show that any one of these bodies can be HIV positive? Mm. Um, and so I just was thinking about like, how can the form uh, best show that? And thinking about the only way that I could think of doing that was involving the audience. And then thinking about if the audience is a reflection of society, um, if for me, the audience is a reflection of stigma, then this is how any one of these three bodies can be the track um, with HIV. There's a moment in the play where uh, the characters mention Angels in America mm -hmm. and the normal heart. And, you know, those are the plays that everyone thinks about when they're thinking about men and HIV. And I was so grateful to be seeing one and two because, you know what, those plays were off its time and they did what they were supposed to do 
20, 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. But they cannot be the only stories that we keep telling. They cannot be the only stories that producers keep bringing back. Mm -hmm. So even if this is very obvious probably and it sounds a little bit redundant, but why was it so important for you to tell this story from such a specific uh, and personal perspective? And also why did you want to be a part of it? The personal side of it is like I believe in like writing what you know and this is an experience that I know all too well and if I can write this experience from a very personal place it is my hope that individuals who also exist um, on this intersection are uh, any one of these three lived experiences can be able to also see themselves reflected and it's that thing of when you get specific, it becomes universal. And so other individuals, I would hope, who may not um, identify with any of um, uh, uh, these identities can also feel something as well. So like that was really important for me. Uh, and, and then also like in a very like honest way, uh, it was a form of self-care for me to be able to just like navigate through what my trauma was what my trauma still is. Um, so like all of that like came to mind. And when I think about um, uh, the normal heart and when I think about um, angels in America, um, I'm gonna keep it 100% real. I believe that if there were individuals in those plays who looked like me, that maybe I and so many other individuals who look like me wouldn't be HIV positive. Mm -hmm. Because we had a chance to see ourselves, we would have had a chance to see ourselves reflected in a multitude of ways. Um, I've been just really thinking about quite often uh, uh, like what the programming has been, what the marketing has been, what the campaigns have been um, over the years where when you would look at photos, when you would look at uh, videos and all you would see were white, gay, or bisexual men as related to, at the time, HIV and AIDS prevention. And what that did and what that still does is that it sends this message to white, gay, and bisexual men of, oh, I need to wrap it up. I need to truly practice safe sex. Um, and subconsciously, what it does for individuals who are queer and of color is you don't see yourselves in these images. And so you don't think that you have anything to worry about. And so that's why we have the statistics of one in every 11 white, gay, and bisexual men will be diagnosed with HIV. One in four Latino men um, who are gay and bisexual will be diagnosed. And what the play talks about, one in two black, gay, and bisexual men will be diagnosed with HIV. And I know this is a mouthful to say, but I do believe a part of that is because of the programming that has gone on for so many years, like not for me, not seeing a body like mine reflected in these amazing plays like The Normal Heart and Angels in America. And I said this to Danny before, um, but when I read this play for the first time, it literally made my bones vibrate. I had never experienced something so brave, so vulnerable um, that I could connect to because it came from someone who moves through the world similarly to how I move through the world. Um, and so 
like I am honored or like it's just like we talked about the way you talked about how it reminds you of a Prince song just the way that it like operates on different levels and like there are so many things in this play that speak directly to my experience growing up in America um, that uh, Danye has bravely put up on the stage in a way that is unmasked in a way that I have not seen before so it's like I don't have to do a bunch of shape-shifting to see my story reflected back to me and like the reason why I'm an artist is because I realize how powerful it is when you see a moment of possibility for yourself reflected through art like that's what has invigorated me and gotten through like gotten me through so many things in life and so to be able to have the space to do that, hopefully for someone, is like, it's my legitimate honor. I love that you brought that up, because like, when I was going through your resume and your credits, it's like a bunch of Shakespeare, 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 and yeah. then we have like a Dominique Mauriso play, and mm -hmm. then we have Shakespeare, Shakespeare, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then we have a Pretty Hurts, yeah. and Shakespeare, Shakespeare. Yeah. Come through resume. Yeah. Come through. <laughs> and you know, Shakespeare's always like the go-to for everyone who wants to just Put on a show and people keep talking about color blind casting mm -hmm. and and the show you know in, in place like wanting to and the skeleton crew and it pretty hurts for instance it's not colorblind it's color conscious mm -hmm. and for you as an actor what is it like to get you know a script for measure for measure and then get a script like wanting to yeah i mean it, it's uh when i get i love shakespeare i do and i love to do it and like i've I'm happy it exists, but also it's like it's a different muscle because mm -hmm. it's it's often like when I go into rehearsal for a Shakespeare play, it's like my existence in this world is conceptual or something like that. Mm -hmm. Whereas when you get a play like one and two, like if Pretty Hurts, like Skeleton Crew, where it's like, no, 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 it's not a concept. Like this is the actual like embodiment of a, the way someone moves through this world. Look at this human being and understand them and connect to them and like empathize with them and see how their struggles relate to your struggles. See how their despair is like your despair. Like to be able to unify in that way is something that is such a gift when working on new work like this that is so personal and rooted. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I, keep, I think people keep forgetting probably because of the programming that most theater companies do and even like you know on film and television when it comes to representation people forget that people you know brown and black people also feel joy mm -hmm. and all they want to do is see mm. people like us suffer and i love that wanting to obviously goes to the dark moments and the 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 less uh happy moments so to speak but you not you don't forget the joy and there are moments of like absolute bliss mm -hmm. on that stage that I think are contagious to the people yeah. in the audience. Like, you know, like I wanted to get up and, and dance and like, yeah. you know, when through the bar scenes, I wanted to go You should have. Yeah, you should have. Please got your life. <laughs> I'll bring like a little vodka. Yeah. Next time. And can you talk about why this is so important for you to include in, the, in, in, in your place and what is it like for you also to be showing pain, but also so much joy? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um... Honestly, I was and still am tired of stories that surround HIV and AIDS, and it's always sad. Like, mm -hmm. I, I think about when uh, my friends and I get together, my friends who are 
also HIV positive, like seldom do we talk about our status. Mm -hmm. And when we do, it's like not in a, oh, woe is me sort of conversation. <laughs> like we don't talk about that. Like if it is a like woe is me conversation, it's about, oh child, this rent is due. Am I gonna be able to make it? <laughs> it's never about like my status, my meds, anything like that. We have a good old time and we key and we enjoy each other. So I also want to show like that side. And, 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 and number one in the play, has a line of um, he's so tired of uh, seeing stories where people die from AIDS and he would love a story where people are living with HIV because that is the reality now and wanted to be able to show that wanted to be able to, to showcase that and oftentimes uh, I found myself thinking more and more of the middle passage and I remember hearing that for our ancestors who were forced over here, who made that trek, the ones who were able to survive, survived because they found pockets of joy. Mm -hmm. They found moments to laugh, as wild as that may sound. When they were taking this trek, this middle passage, the ones who were able to survive were able to survive because they found moments to laugh. And when I think about the civil rights movement, so oftentimes we see photos of uh, people protesting and holding signs. And quite honestly, that was about maybe an hour or two hours of um, what happened. And what we didn't see was the parties that they threw afterward because you also have to have joy because that's really intense work. Mm -hmm. So how can I do this intense work and also preserve my joy, mm -hmm. right? And so they would literally have parties after these protests to build up their joy and using joy as resistance. And so that was really important for me because I felt like I would have completely missed the mark if I made a play about HIV and AIDS and it's completely sad and I, I wouldn't feel comfortable putting that out there for my community. Joy carries me through my life, honestly, and so it just feels like a gift to to be able to do that on the stage, where it's like it just it just reflects how I go through my life. Like I mean, working on this play has been intense, but it's mm -hmm. like as much as we are intensely diving into the deeper, more heavy spaces, like. I leave rehearsal and I go dance. Mm. You know, like that's how I go take care of myself. And like that's like a part of my life. It's a part of like I fold it into just like the fabric of who I am. And his that's music selection is on point. Yeah. His music selection is on yeah. point, I have oh. to say. <laughs> yeah. So like I mean it's just like that just it just it just reflects what life is like. And so I love that part. Okay, why have you been playing then? Oh. <laughs> <sighs> okay, well honestly, honestly I have I have this whole little project, but there's like a there's a playlist that I have that I always shuffle. I call it my battery pack and it just has, <laughs> it has like 1900 songs on it. So like it, it just shuffles and it just is always on repeat. And I I would love for the two of you to talk a little bit about what I saw the night that I, that I attended the show and it's that I I told you also mm. that I found myself snapping and going like girl what and, and I then I went and I said to myself did you just do that I have never done that in, in, in a theater oh, but I felt yes, so yes. comfortable and I felt so in the moment mm -hmm. and I saw everyone around me was the same way people were talking I mean no one was like yelling or anything but people were talking people felt like they were a part of it mm. and that's not something that's very common like I mean I'm, I'm still shocked that I snapped and I went I'm glad yeah, me I was, too yeah, it felt that. amazing <laughs> yes. but so thank you for, for creating that space mm -hmm. and first of all like it's 
kind of like your magicians, how do you create that space? And why do you think most theaters, for instance, don't create that space? And we all feel like we're bound and we just have to sit there and witness and be quiet. Oh my gosh, and that's so whack to yeah. me. Like, oh my gosh, literally the, the audience is that missing piece. Mm -hmm. We do not have theater if we do not have an audience. Mm -hmm. And written in the play itself, the audience is a character where uh, these three individuals reference the audience, talk to the audience on multiple occasions. So at the very top of the play, it's written in a way where there has to be a call and response. Mm -hmm. And if there's not, the play won't be able to happen because we need you mm -hmm. to help us know how this story is going to go. And I would hope that because of that, on top of so many other things like amazing actors who has um, so much charm allows and creates a space for the audience to feel like they can be like, girl, why did you do that? Mm -hmm. Or like get up and want to dance when like a moment is happening. Um, because again, like we're in this thing together, right? Like we've done all of this work and it would all be for not if we do not have the audience there as well. It is literally my favorite thing when I'm on stage and I feel like the mm. audience giving back to me that's like it just feeds me because also whenever I watch a show like I'm an engaged I can't help it like I'm just uh -huh. like an engaged audience member it just like I don't know it just lands on me in a way that I kind of like respond and I mean it's sad to me when the audience comes and it feels like there's a, like a cinder block wall between mm. us and them it's just like well why are we in this room together like if we can't share the space and like like you let me know when something lands on you just like that it's like all a conversation it's all an ongoing conversation and like I have friends who will come because my friends are kind of like me and they're super engaged and they'll be like I was laughing I was the only one laughing at that line <laughs> I felt so bad I was like no but I yes. love that like uh -huh. please like keep doing it like I love that like be with us feel free to express yourself feel free to breathe and like that's I think is the my, it's like my favorite thing theater is for all because mm -hmm. it's this idea that you have to um, present yourself a certain way in uh, the theater um, and I found myself laughing because I think about this was a few years ago um, a cousin of mine um, who will remain nameless <laughs> she uh, was, was coming to one of my plays and she has never been to the theater beforehand. And literally, she texted me um, a few days before coming to my show asking, hey, do I have to like wear a ball gown? <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't have to wear a ball gown. You can literally come dress however you want to come dress to the theater. But like, it's this, I, like literally, it's funny, but it's also incredibly sad because it's this idea of you have to present yourself a certain way in the theater, um, which is not the case. I think about a friend of mine who is um, also a playwright, and I remember uh, he said he wrote this play, and for this like one character, he wrote it with a friend of mine, and and this friend of his is a very spiritual person, um, really believes in like call and response as it relates to the spirit, and so that found his way in one of the characters in um, my friend's play. And he said, when the friend who he based that character off of came to see the show, he felt so uncomfortable where he couldn't engage in that way because so many other theater goers um, 
gave very much quiet, mm -hmm. gave very much still. Mm -hmm. So he thought that's how I have to respond. And so just thinking about um, creating a space where everyone is welcomed and where you can feel the way that the spirit moves you to feel. Uh, thinking about representation, about the ways in which you know the media and arts mm -hmm. often deny people of color a chance to see themselves. When was the first time that you remember seeing yourself anywhere? Was it a, a television or a movie or mm -hmm. on stage? Mm -hmm. Growing up, my mom was always very uh, on top of that. Mm -hmm. So, like the the movies that I watched growing up, the music that I heard growing up, the anything like were always like my mom was always very diligent. I don't even know if she knew she was doing it, <laughs> but she was always like, "Here's you. Like you can do anything." I, the thing that you, that comes to mind when you said that is the movie The Wiz, mm -hmm. which I love dearly, mm -hmm. and I remember watching that movie and seeing just how much excellence like across the whole like from the music the acting the sets the costumes the way they looked the way they sounded the way they were with each other the way they danced like i remember watching that movie and being so excited and like being like i want to do that like get like how, like take me to house like how do i yeah go? Just take like, me to house. yeah so i remember that and again like it's so important for me like that's the those are the moments those are the moments where it's like a oh I get a new sense of what's possible for me I think about like I can't pinpoint a specific moment but like I do remember when I was younger seeing uh, like images of like black queer men um, but at that time it was it always felt like a caricature mm -hmm. like a stereotype um, which for me, like I didn't quite understand, but I was just still excited to see like a black queer person, mm -hmm. like me not sharing who I was to anybody, mm -hmm. but like really hoping to be able to like see this like black queer person, like thinking about how if it was a show that had like queerness in it, making sure that like I had the station beforehand so I could hurry up and hit last. So somebody walked in. Somebody walked in. I knew that I could go to something else. Oh, that's so real. Um, but it, like, it was like, for that, it was just how much I really wanted to see myself reflected, but also knowing the society taught me that I shouldn't and that I have to make sure like no one knows what I'm doing and like now that I think about it the first time where I saw um, a real life individual um, was on the real world it was with Karamo um, and being able to see like a black queer man uh, that didn't feel like a caricature um, that just felt like he was just existing in who he was uh, I can't remember how old I was. I know I was like in my teens, but like that was, I think, the first time where I was able to like see what a version of myself could look like. Mm. And it's the holidays, so I'm assuming that you've both been very good kids this year. And, I hope. Yeah. <laughs> and so when, when you write your letter to Santa, and Santa's probably bringing you presents, what's on your uh, letter to Santa this year for yourself, but also for the theater community? Yes, Santa. Mm. Yes, question. I answered a question for the theater. Just more plays that allow people to unguard, unbind, to show themselves, um, that invite people in to see that and that connect us. I don't see enough of that.
For you? For me? I would like to go somewhere warm. Yes. <laughs> yes. I would like to yes. go somewhere warm. Yes. That's what I'd like. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I would take that answer. <laughs> I would take that answer. I would also want to go somewhere warm. I love the warmth so much. Too much, actually. Um, so much. that I would say in terms of the theater, um, I'm actually very excited with where theater is and where it's going in terms of being able to see um, multiple uh, stories of individuals with very lived experiences. What I would love to see uh, within the theater is administration Mm -hmm. being able to reflect Mm -hmm. um, what I see on stage. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not enough to see these black and brown bodies, these bodies of color, um, of very lived experiences on stage. And then the theater that's producing it looks completely white. Um, That's what I would really love to see. I I get very frustrated and I get very sad when I walk into a theater that's producing my work or that wants to have a conversation with me and everyone in the administration looks nothing like me. And the ones who do look like me our interns, our apprentices, our fellows that will be gone within nine months to a year. Mm -hmm. And that's not what diversity or inclusion or equity looks like. So that's what I would really love to see if we're getting for real, for real. Mm -hmm. So basically do better theater. Mm -hmm. Uh, Thank you. Oh, and by the way, I I wish also the warm place comes into your life soon, but not before January 12th. Before January 12th. January 12th. Uh, So one and two is a production of the new group running at the Pershing Square Signature Theater through January 12th. Fingers crossed extensions might be happening or it's going to move it somewhere else. We'll see what happens. And uh, Donnie and Leland, thank you so much for Thank you so much. Thank you. Happy holidays. Yes. Remember, theater is more fun when you bring a friend or two. Yes. 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 Yes.